0: I-O-9 presents The Geek's Guide
1: to the Galaxy. And here are your hosts, John Joseph Adams and David Barr Kirtley.
0: Hello, and welcome to episode 31 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy.
1: Hi, I'm John Joseph Adams. I'm the editor of Fantasy Magazine and Lightspeed Magazine and of a bunch of anthologies uh, about wizards, zombies, dystopian societies, vampires, Sherlock Holmes, and other cool stuff.
0: And I'm David Barr Curtley. I'm the author of many short stories, including Save Me Please, about a college student who disappears after becoming obsessed with an online role-playing game. The story appeared in Rich Horton's anthology Fantasy the Best of the Year 2008 and also as episode 124 of the Escape Pod podcast. And today on the show, we'll be interviewing Chris Robertson. His novels include End of the Century, Paragaia, A Planetary Romance, and X-Men The Return. His short stories appear in magazines such as Asimov's and Interzone. And along with his spouse, Alison Baker, he's the publisher of Monkey Brain Books. He's also written the comic book series Cinderella from Fable Town with Love and I, Zombie. And he was recently selected to complete the Grounded story arc on the Superman monthly comic book, a story that sees Superman walking across America in an attempt to reconnect with the people he protects. All right, so let's get to our interview. All right, so we're here with Chris Robertson. Uh, welcome to the show. Howdy. Uh, so first of all, uh, since you're writing Superman, could you prove to us that you're a real Superman fan?
2: What would you like to know? Would you like me to name off all of the various kinds of kryptonite and what they do? Because <laughs> <Yeah>. I can't. <laughs> yeah, what? just I'll just do white. What does white kryptonite do? It kills you're... plant life. <laughs> it kills all plant life.
0: But didn't you, like, dress up as Superman, like, for months when you were a kid and stuff like that?
2: As, for entire years as a child, I dressed as Superman, yes. And basically until Halloween costumes fell apart. <laughs> um, and then I would uh, – for me, the, um, the introduction of the Underoos in the late 70s was a godsend because I could dress like Superman all the time and no one would know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, I have uh, a photographic record of me starting at the age of six and ending – now of me wearing um, things with the Superman symbol on them pretty much constantly, including my honeymoon, because it's super romantic. The ladies love Superman t-shirts.
0: And I think you, you have more Superman comics than any other uh, kind of comic, right?
2: Uh, I think that's fair to say, yeah.
0: Like how many, How roughly how many is that?
2: Um... Well, let's see. I'm I'm just trying to do this by feet. Uh, <laughs> uh probably 12 feet worth. <laughs> and I'm judging by the shelves and the boxes filled with Superman. And I'm going to guess about between 12 and 14 feet of spine out Superman material.
1: For people who don't follow the comic all that closely, uh what's been what what has Superman been up to the last 10 years or so?
2: You know, in the olden days before Crisis rewrote everything in 1986, Uh, Ma and Paul Kent died before he became Superman. Um, But in the modern continuity, Ma and Paul Kent were still alive until a couple of years ago when Paul Kent died of a heart attack. So Paul Kent dies of a heart attack almost immediately thereafter. uh, He discovers the bottle city of Kandor, which is an entire Kryptonian city shrunk down to bottle size, is restored to full size on Earth. There's suddenly a full uh, community of superpowered Kryptonians running around They build their own planet in Earth's solar system. Hijinks ensue. It all goes horribly wrong. Uh, Superman ends up as the last Kryptonian left flying around for various reasons. And he's pretty depressed about it. Um, And the storyline that I'm currently writing kind of picks him up there. Um, It was begun by uh, J. Michael Straczynski, who did a few issues before. And I'm kind of coming in and doing the the second and third acts. But the basic idea is that uh, Superman is pretty emotionally broken. Superman, uh, never having lost anybody before, never having experienced real uh, personal loss or grief, in very short order, loses his father and then an entire Kryptonian city filled with his distant relatives. And he's pretty messed up about it. And so the current storyline is him trying to reexamine what he believes in, um, and reconnect with his formative experiences to try to get back to a place uh, where we'd recognize him as the guy who stands for truth, justice, and the American way.
0: Yeah, and didn't D.C. have some sort of contest uh, to see like what cities uh, Superman would travel to?
2: They did. Um, as I understand it, they had a basic route mapped out, and they invited anyone who lived in a town within 20 miles of that route to petition for superman to come to their town um and and they ended up sending me all of the winning entries for the last eight towns um and the idea was that he would visit all these different american small towns and uh yeah so i mean i know the names of the people responsible for him going to lincoln nebraska or uh, ogden utah And so one of the interesting challenges of the storyline has been to make uh, the story work, but also make it work in ways that are meaningful for the various locations it goes to.
0: Have you gotten any feedback on the the Superman Grounded stuff that's come out so far?
2: So, yeah, some. I mean, I I also did – I've gotten more feedback on two issues I did of a a companion title called Superman and Batman. I think there might be a forward slash in between the two. but the the Superman-Batman reaction was very positive. The Superman-Grounded reaction to 707 has been split between people who absolutely love it and people who uh, don't like it at all. And I think the don't-like-it-at-all people, many of them will be won over another issue or two. There's a lot of stuff that happens in my first uh, installment of Grounded that gives long-term superman fans pause because superman in my first story doesn't act much like superman he has no faith in trust in, in in truth and uh, he's kind of a dick and uh, he's rude to his wife and he makes the wrong choice and that's because something has happened which is that superman's broken so um hopefully the people who don't like it making the second issue they can see that that's actually the story and not just that i don't know what superman is all about
0: Okay, so I mean, one story that really made a big splash was the death of Superman in 1992. Um, what do you think about that story now and its impact, uh, looking back on it?
2: Oh, well, it's funny. Like, um, as a long-term comics reader, so I'm 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 40. I've been going to the comic shop every Wednesday for north of 30 years, um, and I've been reading comics regularly since I was six. The death of Superman happened right when I got out of college, right after college, and I interpreted it I think like most long term comic fans of the time did, which was just a story. I mean, like, so they're gonna kill off Superman and some stuff will happen, and then he comes back. Um Death is rarely permanent in comics. Um I think uh there's only one or two that were inviolate for a long time and both of those have been overturned in recent years. For the longest time, the only deaths that were permanent were um Peter Parker's Uncle Ben, uh, Bucky Barnes, Captain America's original sidekick, and uh, I mean originally the Ma and Pa Kent, but by the you know the last few years, all of those have at one point or another come back from the grave. So when they announced that Superman was dying, I was vaguely curious to see how they would do it and how they would bring him back. But um, the news hit on a slow news day and was picked up by media outlets who didn't know that superheroes were routinely killed and brought back from the dead. Mm -hmm. And they thought they were killing him. (laughs) and um, it became a real thing. And uh, I think the sudden unexpected deluge of response and um, this incredible media attention on it caused them to slow the pace of the story so that rather than bring Superman back, in two issues or three as they probably originally intended, they, they dragged it out for closer to a year. Um, I still think that it was a fine story. I think, it, you know, reading it in the aftermath, when I mean, you can sit down and say, here's the beginning, middle of an end of a story, I think that the writers and artists involved did a good job. And I think there's some interesting stuff in there, and it certainly introduced some interesting characters. I think Steel, uh, John Henry Irons, who's the African-American engineer who builds himself a suit of armor to take Superman's place. And uh, Superboy, who's a clone of Superman, who's engineered by Project Cadmus, take takes place, are both su- really interesting characters with l- tons and tons of storytelling possibilities. Um, I, you know, I don't know that I'd be eager for them to kill him off again, but you know, Marvel just killed off Captain America a few years ago and then brought him back. And uh, the stories that Ed Brubaker turned in for that arc were fan freaking fantastic. The best Captain America stories we've had in years. So, it's certainly a uh, fertile ground for storytelling.
1: Uh, so, what are some of your all time favorite uh, comic book stories involving Superman?
2: I mean, every time Alan Moore touched the character, it was fantastic. Um, he did an annual, I think it was Superman annual number, I'm going to miss a rumor. I'm thinking 10, but I was probably wrong. But it's called For the Man Who Has Everything, um, which basically uh, alien grants Superman his heart's desire, which is to see. Krypton Reborn. Uh, he also did Whatever Happened to Man Tomorrow, which was great. He did an entire series called Supreme, which doesn't actually have Superman in it because it was done by another company. But it's one of the best Superman stories ever made. Uh, Kurt Busick did a great one called Secret Identity a few years ago, which was about a guy in our world who just happens to be named Clark Kent. Uh, and who's been tormented his entire life by everybody because he's named Clark Kent. People making jokes about it. And then he discovers he has superpowers. And, uh, it's just this really interesting story about what happens to a regular person in a real world that that faces that kind of thing. In more recent years, um, uh, Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly did a 12-issue miniseries called All-Star Superman, which is probably one of the best things that humanity has ever produced. (laughs) Um, If aliens ever arrive and ask us to prove our worth as a species, this is one of the things we can hand them, um, along with any kind of, uh, meat wrapped in bread, um, huh. and um, 30 Rock. Those are the things that can prove that we should continue to exist.
0: All right, so like, what are some of the strangest things to ever happen in Superman comics, stuff where you just think, like, what were they smoking when they wrote this?
2: Um, that's actually my favorite stuff. Um, you know, any time that Red Kryptonite was was prodded out or uh, Mr. spedal I mean, Red Kryptonite is a variation of Kryptonite, which is the irradiated fragments of Superman's home planet that normally would uh, cause him pain and then death. The red kryptonite passed through a cloud of radiation, which were uh, pretty ubiquitous in 1950s and 60s DC comics. And the cloud of radiation altered the essential properties of the kryptonite to make it red. And red kryptonite would cause Superman to undergo fantastic transformations that would last only 24 hours. So, uh, one time it caused all of his uh, hair and fingernails to grow. I mean, that's the whole story. (laughs) Good story. Mm -hmm. Um, Another, you know, he'll he'll turn evil. He'll split the two people. He has a giant, he turns into a lion, a lion man. Uh, He turns into a giant bug guy. Um, Basically, any 1950s, 60s Mort Weisinger red kryptonite story is going to contain some of the craziest crap you'll see. Of course, Mixiis Pitilic is an imp from the fifth dimension and, you know, being two dimensions better than ours. Uh, <laughs> denizens of the fifth dimension are able to do all kinds of crazy stuff. It's to say, you know, he basically has the powers of if we were to be interacting with people who lived on a sheet of paper and we could suddenly fold the paper they're on or draw new things on it, they would be completely baffled. Um, so any Mixies look story uh, is pretty high on that list. Probably the strangest, though. I mean, like, you know, the, the the things that people point out and think, what were they thinking? There's a uh, Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane story from the early 1970s, 72, maybe 73, called I Am Curious Black, in which Lois Lane undergoes a scientific procedure to be turned into an African-American so she can learn what it's like to be black in America for a day. Um, that's a pretty strange story. <laughs> there, there's some weird stuff in that one. Uh, but interestingly, it, the the African-American kind of political activists that she meets in that story end up becoming really meaningful supporting characters in the lowest Lane stories throughout the remainder of the 70s. So as weird as that story is, it actually has some, some real worth to it. So,
0: yeah, I, I heard once that the origin of the conflicts between Superman and Lex Luthor is that Superman caused Luthor to lose all of his hair. Is that true?
2: Well, again, you know, reality gets rewritten in comics constantly. Um, So in the current continuity, the the, the conflict boils down basically to Lex Luthor being the smartest, most capable human being on the planet until an alien arrives. And he feels that his position has been usurped and that uh, the, the, the presence of this alien is somehow limiting to humanity. So that's the new one. The old one, the good one, was yeah. uh, uh, Superman made his hair fall out. Well, originally back in 1940, when the character was first introduced, he had hair, and he was just a mad scientist. He had he had a zeppelin, he had a death ray, he flew around. Um, But when the the character was later reused, just a few months, years later, in the later 40s, the artist apparently forgot which one was Luther in a panel, and rather than drawing. The spelt, vaguely Eastern European, red-haired dude. Um, he drew the the bald, vaguely overweight uh, sidekick, uh, his his you know henchman, and that became the the bald Luthor that uh, continued to this day. Uh, in the in the middle period, the fifties, sixties, seventies, and early eighties, <clears throat> Lex Luthor was a the, the red-haired Wonderkind of Smallville, who was best friends with young teenage Clark Kent. And uh, was working feverishly to devise a an antidote for, for kryptonite, uh, some sort of cure for kryptonite poisoning for Superman. But because of his hubris, he left his step out of the process. And while working in the lab outside town that, that Superboy had built for him uh, caused a chemical fire, uh, when Superboy came to blow out the flames, uh, it blew the smoke and and. and chemical, whatnot, back at, at Lex, singeing all of his hair off. And from that day forward, he uh, was an enemy of humanity and vowed revenge on Superman. Now, later, in the 1970s, uh, once Julius Schwartz was the, edit- Julius Schwartz was the editor, uh, Elliot Magan, who was the writer at the time, revisited that story and added one little note that made it so much more interesting, which was that while he was working on this cure, Teenage Lex also managed to create life from lifelessness in his lab. He created a living um, organism from base compounds and it was nothing more than a, a, a fairly complicated you know slime mold or something but it was living and and, and this was Clark, this was Lex's child this was his, like he had done what no one else before him had been able to do, which was create life. And that when this chemical fire happens, when Superboy blows the stuff back in, it it, it uh, burns and kills off this mold that Lex has created. So that when Lex vows revenge against him, it's not so much because he's bald now, but that uh, Superboy killed his child and killed his chance at immortality for doing this thing. Which mm-hmm. I think is kind of a cool story.
1: Yeah, well, that seems that seems much more reasonable because you know, you know, really, being bald isn't all that bad.
0: <laughs> I mean, when you're when you're working with a character with such a long history and so many, I would imagine, contradictory stories and things, how how much how how, how do you wor- work around the continuity and how do you decide like which things to incorporate and which not to?
2: I think, I mean, Superman when he was first introduced, um, what, June of 1938, I think, it was 1938. I'm not sure the month. Um, he came into focus very, very quickly. Um, the things that we recognize as being Superman were present almost from the very beginning. Um, and by 1940, early 41, with a few additions and amendations made by the writers of the radio show, which was syndicated across America, and the, uh, Flasher Brothers cartoon series, the character we know was there. So. What's changed, the contradictions over time have been minor bits of set dressing and then things that have happened to him. I mean, so that, so that who Superman is, the last son of Krypton, raised by honest, hardworking farmers in the Midwest, who disguised as Clark Kent, a mild man reporter for a major metropolitan newspaper, fights an ever new battle for truth, justice, the American way. That has not changed. What's changed is did he meet Brainiac now or later? Does Lex Luthor have hair or not? Does he hate him because of the lack of hair? Or is there something else? You know, it's 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 grace notes on the the main tune. And the tune of Superman hasn't changed. So my approach to it, which I think has been the approach to Superman since the current editors took over. Um, Matt Idelson took over as the editor a few years ago. And I think since he's been the editor, there's been this kind of sense of, take from the past, whatever works, you know, keep from past continuity, what makes for a good story, whatever doesn't make for a good story, quietly ignore it. And that's pretty much what I've been doing. Um, my, the issues I've written so far, and I guess I've scripted between Superman and Superman, Batman, uh, five issues so far borrow from stories as old as 1940 and as new as things that are on the stands right now and ignore all kinds of stuff in between too. So, yeah, I just take what's good and ignore what's bad. (laughs)
0: Uh, Okay. So, I mean, like over the years, you know, I've heard a lot of people say that Superman is boring because he's too powerful and too much of a goody two shoes. Uh, how, How do you respond to that?
2: No, I don't, I don't think that he's, he's boring. He becomes a very interesting challenge for the writers and artists to come up with something really interesting for Superman to have to defeat. I think that too often when people try to tackle Superman, they try to come up with um, a physical threat that's difficult for him to defeat um, because he's stronger and he's faster and he can fly and he's invulnerable. And so they make someone that's a little bit bigger and a little bit faster and a little bit stronger that he has to punch until they fall down, <laughs> which is not that interesting. I mean, there's certainly a certain amount of um, visceral thrill that can be got from Superman punching a dude. Um, But Superman has a wide array of powers and a super brain. Uh, He is a genius in intellect, as well as being a Hercules in strength. And so I think that it's just a really interesting challenge trying to come up with a story that uh, puts in Superman's path a problem that can't be solved by punching it, but one that has to be resolved by something more clever, and then having Superman come up with a cleverer answer. Which does not necessarily involve flying around the Earth backwards until time goes <laughs> Though I understand that does. <laughs> uh, yeah, so speaking of which, uh, what do you think of the
1: way uh, Superman's been depicted on film and TV in recent years? Uh, the stuff like, you know, Superman Returns and Smallville.
2: You know, rolling, rolling back a little bit farther, I think that uh, the Bruce Tim. Superman Adventures, the animated show that was on the, the Warner Brothers Kids Network, is probably the best outside of comics that Superman has ever gotten. That uh, the, that cartoon was just fantastic for fantastic and that led to the Justice League cartoon, which was equally as good. I think the first few seasons of Smallville were very good. I, I watched Smallville from the beginning and finally gave up when I just couldn't take it anymore uh, a, a few years later. Um, I, I think there's a lot of fantastic stuff in those first, first few years. I think that they built in their own problems. They, they were spoiled by success. If that had been a show that had run for four years, people would still be talking about how fantastic it was. I think uh, making a story about uh, Superman as a kid in school, learning how to be a Superman, is a fantastic idea, and they did a fantastic job. As soon as he graduated and became an adult, the show was faced with the difficulty of working out what to do with an adult Clark Kent that's not Superman yet. And um, the problem I had personally with it was I was ready for that to happen. And so um, my personal frustration came from wanting him to put on tights and fly around, and that wasn't the story they were telling. As far as the movies go, I think that there's a lot to like in Superman Returns. It's not the movie I would have done, um, and I, I would have preferred that they wouldn't have stuck so close to the first two movies. But, you know, I've seen it probably ten times, and there's a lot of moments in it that I think are fantastic. I'm really, really curious to see what Chris Nolan does. I've been very impressed with what he did with the first two of the Batman relaunches, um, him in the the producer seat uh, could mean we might get a really really good Superman movie at the next one.
1: Actually, speaking of the the American Way quote, um, did, wasn't there an like an alternate history storyline at some point where Superman actually crash landed in uh, like Soviet Russia or something?
2: Yeah. Um, the, the, well, in the olden days, there were tons of imaginary stories in which you would land other places. Uh, but then, starting in the Mid '90s, they did a whole line of Elseworlds, which were stories in which Superman ended up different places. And um, one of the last ones was done by uh, Mark Miller, who's now doing a lot of work for Marvel. But it's spelled in some crazy Scottish way with an A in but it's pronounced Miller. Called Superman Red Sun, in which he lands in Russia, and yeah, there he stands. He initially stands for, you know, the Soviet wife for the Soviet man, but in all of the alternate universe stories that take place in DC Comics, uh, there's apparently in that universe, how in it, all of its permutations, a certain narrative pressure. I mean, one of the fundamental forces of the DC universe is that Superman will put on that S and be a good guy. Uh, there's also a narrative force that says that Something bad will happen to Bruce Wayne's parents, and he will become a creature of the night and uh, frighten criminals. Um, so that even though in all those stories he sometimes starts in different places, he always ends up in the same place. So uh, do you have
1: any advice for kids you might want to write superhero comics someday?
2: Um, well, yeah, I, I have a lot. Um, uh, the first thing is, uh, A, read a lot of superhero comics, old ones too. B Read a lot of stuff that's not superhero comics. You know, read stuff that's not comics. Every successful writer of comics that I know of or know is also, uh, extremely widely read. Inside of genre and outside. And, you know, the superhero genre is its own thing. So I think anyone that's read lots of science fiction or fantasy is helped. But also anyone that's read lots of history or anyone that knows about science or politics, whatever. Life experience is a good thing, too. Doesn't mean go get the gang. Um, (laughs) Read good comics to figure out what they do well. Uh, Read bad comics to figure out what they do wrong. I always steer people towards reading really horrible comics. Um, But suggest for them to then figure out exactly what they would have done to fix it. Um, And if you want to break into comics, um, find a Paying work first, because it takes a very long time. I tried on a regular basis to break into the comics field for 18 years before I managed, and uh, managed along the way to build an entire career in prose while waiting to break into comics.
0: Oh, yeah, so so who are some other superheroes that you'd like to write for?
2: Um, I like uh, Captain America a lot. Um, I'm a big fan of Green Lantern. Uh, I love The Legion of Superheroes. Those are the big, most recognizable ones. I also love, I love the Doom Patrol. I think Crimson Avenger's fantastic. I would love to write a Ulysses Bloodstone series someday. Um, he's dead, but we can fix that. It's comics.
0: <laughs> okay, and so your publishing house, Monkey Brain Books, published a book by Peter Coogan called Superhero, The Secret Origin of a Genre. Could you tell us uh, what that book's about and why you decided to publish it?
2: Yeah, so, so Monkey Brain, uh, when we first started, we published just nonfiction but about genre. And then we started publishing nonfiction and fiction that involved genre. Um, a lot of things that we published were things I found online or people that I had met that had interesting things to say. And uh, Pete Coogan was a guy who, uh, he's an academic. He's a, He teaches. And uh, he had done, I think his master's maybe, or his doctorate. I honestly don't remember which level it was. But he done some graduate level thesis on the superhero genre, you know, what what it entailed, where it came from, what constituted it. And um for for years he has run this academic conference that runs in San Diego at the San Diego Comic Convention in parallel to the regular convention. Uh it's the Comics Arts Conference, I think it's called something. Like that. Um, and I'd known him a little while for those kinds of things. He approached me with the idea for this book, which was an expanded version of his thesis. And um, having seen what he'd done so far, I was definitely interested in taking a look. So he he handed it over. So it is, uh, as his thesis was, an examination of where the superhero genre came from historically, what the principal developments in that genre were, and then what defines it? Like, this is a huge point of convention. What makes a superhero? What defines a superhero? Because virtually everything people can point at as being a defining characteristic, someone else can come up with a counterexample. The superhero has superpowers. Well, Batman does And he's a superhero. Uh, the superhero wears a costume. Luke Cage does not wear a costume, really. Nor does he have a name, a superhero identity, which is the other defining characteristic people usually point to. Anyway, it's just an interesting book. We've got uh, Denny O'Neill to do the introduction for it. And um, I don't know that I agree with everything Pete says in it, but I think it's a really, really, really interesting book.
1: Uh, so what are some of the other comic book projects you're working on?
2: Um, let's see. I have an ongoing creator-owned book with Michael Allred, the creator of uh, Madman, with uh, Vertigo Comics. It's called iZombie, which is about a zombie girl detective. I'm doing a, a second spinoff of Bill Willingham's Fables featuring the uh, super spy character Cinderella, who is uh, the, the fairy tale character reimagined as a modern day super spy. And the other two big things I'm doing is I'm doing a, a space opera slash superhero book called Starborn that was developed with Stan Lee at Boom Studios, uh, and nut, with art by Kerry Randolph and colors by Mitch Gerald, and they're great. Ger- Gerard's rather, uh, he's fantastic, and um, a twelve-issue miniseries uh, called Elric: The Balance Lost, which uses a bunch of characters from Michael Moorcock's uh, fantasy novels that uh, Mike is overseeing as I write. Also for Boom Studios.
0: Okay, so uh, you know you've been quoted as saying, "I believe in Superman the way some people believe in Jesus." Um, could you sort of talk about? that quote and sort of what it is that about Superman that inspires that kind of devotion.
2: I think what it is that even though he's fictional and that, that's something that has been pointed out to me by people who've seen that quote, <laughs> that he's not real. Well, he's, he, he's real and he's matters. He's still fictional. You know, he doesn't exist, but that he, Superman can stand as a figure of moral instruction. Um, anyone that's read, more than a handful of Superman stories or comics or seen Superman movies or cartoons or encountered him in any uh, number of other media that he's appeared in knows how Superman would react in any given situation. There's no moral ambiguities for Superman. There's no ethical dilemmas that would give him pause. Superman would act in a certain way. Superman would do a thing. So what I meant by that quote was that um, just like other people – can look for moral guidance and instruction and, 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 you know, spiritual support to religious figures that, you know, I can look at Superman and know what he would do based in any situation. And even though I might not always be able to measure up to it, um, I know what he would do so you can boil it down to that. Well, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a wristband, WWSD And, I you know, the answer is always apparent.
0: All right. Well, Chris Robertson, thanks so much for joining us on Geeks Guide to the Galaxy. Thanks for having me. And that was our interview. So thanks so much to Chris Robertson for joining us on the show. Uh, so now we're going to be talking about superheroes. And, um, I just wanted to mention, uh, if you haven't listened to it already, that, uh, back in episode four of this podcast, we interviewed Marjorie Wu, who writes the, uh, dark Wolverine, uh, series for Marvel comics. And, uh, you know, then after that, John and I talk about sort of, you know, comic books and how, how we got into them and some of our favorites and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, definitely go check that out if you're interested. All right. But so so we're, uh, you know, a whole bunch of uh, superhero movies are uh, coming out soon and a bunch of trailers have been released recently. So I thought we could start out and talk about some of those. So uh, first up, Green Lantern. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you see the trailer for that?
1: Uh Yeah, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> it, it looks pretty dismal. Um, yeah, man, I don't know. I just, uh, I, I saw that I, unfortunately I saw it, uh, before Tron Legacy, which was also quite dismal. Um, but, um, you know, it was, God, it was just so, it looked so bad. I mean, it was, I don't know. I can't even really explain it. It's, uh, I, I've never been less enthusiastic about the superhero movie that I can remember from the trailer, just from the trailer. It's like, how do you make the Green Lantern look, look not interesting? I mean, that's a really interesting superhero, but they made it look really lame.
0: Yeah, no, it was just really a truly ghastly trailer. Uh I I really I, I was watching it and I was half convinced it must be some sort of fan <laughs> spoof or something, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: Um instead of talking about Green Lantern, can we talk about Alfred Bester?
0: Well, I was actually say? just about to mention that, yeah.
1: He used to write Green Lantern and he and he wrote the Green Lantern Oath.
0: Oh, actually that's apparently not true. Really? That's um, the way
1: I was, I've always heard that.
0: No, that's the way I always heard it too. That, which is why I went and looked it up, and but uh, Wikipedia claims claims otherwise. I um, see. But yeah, I mean, if if people don't know uh, the the Green Lantern Oath goes, in brightest day, in blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evils' might beware my power, Green Lantern's light. And so, yeah, and so it's been widely believed that that was written by um, science fiction author Alfred Bester, um, who wrote um, The Star is My Destination and The Demolished Man. Um, but uh, according to Wiki- Wikipedia, has this thing, and it says, uh, uh, Bester has been credited as the creator of this oath. However, in an interview with journalist F. Gwynplaine McIntyre at the 1979 World Science Fiction Convention in Brighton, England, Bester stated that the Brightest Day oath was already in place before he began writing for the character. So,
1: Actually, speaking of F. Gwynplaine McIntyre, it's kind of a tangent, but I mean, did you hear about, um, like, you know, he died recently. Did you hear about like the circumstances of his death? No. Um, so he was, uh, he was like a longtime fan, like, you know, uh, true fan, as they say in uh, fandom, you know, he went to science fiction conventions like his whole life and, uh, you know, the sort who would have, uh, probably read and collect fanzines and that kind of thing. But, um, so his, uh, his apartment burned down uh he, you know he lived in new york and his apartment burned down and they found uh and they found the body there but there was there was like some controversy whether or not it was actually him and they were they thought maybe he had faked his death and and all this other stuff and there and there was and and there was some sort of um sort of uh, crazy correspondence uh between him and uh the police i believe and uh and and he had some very strange um very strange events happened right immediately prior to his death so it was all, it was a very very um very distressing sort of report, um, when you were reading about it. Cause I mean, you know, this is a guy that I've been to conventions with and, you know, I, would be sitting in the row right in front of me, you know, at a panel or something. And then, you know, to hear about all this crazy stuff that happens, like sort of associated with the death, uh, it was uh, a bit shocking to say the least. And I guess there was, uh, um, there was a lot of, uh, debate whether or not like that was his real name and, uh, you know, where, where he was actually from. It's like, I mean, it kind of sounded like, um, from what I heard that, uh, that almost nobody really knew who he was and that, you know, his whole life may have been a little in elaborate fiction, you know, that, that he just would tell people, you know, that he created all of himself that, you know, like none of the background that he told people was real and, and that kind of thing. Um, uh, I mean, nobody who, who said that seemed to have any idea why he was, uh, why he'd done that, but um apparently that was that was the case, so it was interesting it was interesting to read about um if a bit you know morbid but, but yeah.
0: it was it's been confirmed now that he didn't fake his death and and stuff like
1: I'm fairly certain that it was confirmed that yes he that that that, that it was him that they did they did find somebody who could like identify the body or something
2: wow.
0: uh okay um so moving on to our next superhero movie trailer um Captain America. What'd you what you think of that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a
1: really brief trailer, but uh, I don't know. It looks pretty interesting. Um, I, I kind of wish we could have gla- uh, gotten more of a glimpse of the Red Skull there. I mean, I don't know. Have, were you? Uh, did you read that? Uh, did you read Captain America? I've um, no, I've never read it no. Okay, yeah. I mean, I I when I was reading comics, I, I it was one of the titles that I read, uh, you know, pretty seriously, and. Um, I like how they added the subtitle, the first Avenger to sort of help set up the Avengers movie that will follow, you know, it's like, Hey, you know, Captain America and Avengers, they're like, they go together. Um, in case you didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, no don't know. I mean, it looks, it looks pretty good. Uh, I mean, the, the shield looked cool and, you know, his outfit looks pretty cool, which was uh, certainly a concern. I mean, trying to translate his costume to something that's going to look recognizable yet look, Feasible in the real world was uh, quite a challenge, and I don't know. It looks looks pretty good so far. I mean, from the you know, it's a very short trailer, so it's hard to say for sure how that'll play um, you know in the movie.
0: But uh... yeah, no, I I think the trailer is is reasonably good. Um, I was actually you know I've been listening to a bunch of other sort of science fiction geek kind of podcasts uh, just to sort of see what else is out there, and uh, I was listening to this one called um, Slacker and the Man, and they were they were talking about that, and they were saying that it was they were supposed to have like a full trailer for the Super Bowl. But it ended up just being a teaser trailer because they didn't have enough like good footage to to use. Oh no! Uh, so that's if that's true, that's not a that's not really a, a good sign. Um, the, the the guy also um, on this podcast, it, it sounds like he really uh, doesn't like uh, Chris Evans, uh, the the actor who was playing you know playing Captain America. Yeah. Um. Uh, from from what I gathered, it sounded like you know they they just cast um you know the the guy who's going to be Superman in the Chris Nolan movie. And uh, and that actor uh, said, you know, that he was a big fan of the Superman comic Uh, and that the guy in the podcast was saying, uh, you know, that he appreciates the guy, the actor saying that even if he's not really a Superman fan that, uh, you know, it was nice that he would at least say that he is, you know, and uh, he says, you know, Chris Evans could take a lesson from that guy. So, oh, why
1: did he come out and say that he doesn't like Captain America? I,
0: I don't know. I, I just before this, I tried Googling it. I couldn't I couldn't find exactly what what Chris Evans had said. I did come across something. He said, like, I'm going to be in this Avengers movie. I don't really know what it's about. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um,
0: So maybe that was it. But uh, but so like, yeah, I mean, when you were reading Captain America, like how did you get interested in that? And like what kind of stuff was going on, like in the story during the period that you were reading it?
1: Uh well I I started reading Captain America probably because of Avengers and um I mean I don't remember why per se I picked up Avengers. I mean I was a Marvel I was a Marvel guy, so I mean I I, I ended up trying a bunch of the comics just because they were in the Marvel universe, you know, and there's always these crossovers, you know. Like Spider Man is I think is the first one I, I read and, and you know, so um you know, maybe the Avengers showed up in Spider Man at some point or whatever and so I was like, Oh, maybe I should check out Avengers but uh, and then Avengers, of course, would lead you to the, the various members of the Avengers who had their own books, which includes Thor and, and Captain America and, uh, and and uh, and, uh, and uh, well, Iron Man was in, um, was the Avengers West Coast division. Um, although originally, I guess he was in Avengers, but when I was reading it, he was in, in, in the Avengers West Coast. Um, but, uh, yeah, so Captain America, you know, I mean, um, he, he fought a bunch of his, uh, sort of, iconic villains and like the red skull and and whatnot. And, um, you know, even, you know, 50 years later after, (laughs) you know, after world war two, it's still fighting the red skull. But anyway, I mean, that, that's, that, that's what I remember most vividly about it from that period. But, um,
0: well, like when you were, when you were saying like, you know, he's been fighting red skull for 50 years and he's still fighting the same guy. I was kind of wondering, like he's been fighting for 50 years and he hasn't, he's still a captain. Like what's that guy (laughs) got to do to earn a promotion?
1: Yeah, I know. Right. You think he would get a promotion after all this point, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. They never really addressed that part of it. Uh, maybe he's like Captain Kirk and, and he wants to refuse promotions so that he can keep, you know, keep doing the job that he's suited for, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least, I mean, I guess, you know, Captain Kirk actually does take the promotion but then realizes that he should have never taken a promotion past Captain because that's what he's good at.
0: But mm-hmm. um, Well, so how about the, the Thor trailer? What do you think of that?
1: Yeah, that one, I don't know. I'm a little bit more dubious about. I mean, um, when I heard about the Thor movie, I was... I was pretty skeptical just because like, again, that was, that was a costume that I thought would be really hard to transition to the real world. Although I think they do an an okay job with it. Um, But uh, I mean, all all of the Asgard stuff, like, I don't know, it kind of looks, you know, Asgard is the realm where Thor lived with, with the, with the, with the Norse gods and all that. Um, And uh, you know, with with him being cast out by Odin and all that, like, I don't know, some of that stuff looks a little, a little cheesy. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, it's cool to have Anthony Hopkins as Odin. I mean, that's cool. Um, I don't know about this guy who's playing Thor. He looks he looks a part anyway.
0: In in the trailer, the the whole Asgard thing, it looks very science fictional. Is, is that the way it is in the comic?
1: I don't remember it being that way. I mean, I remember it being pretty, you know, just pretty fantasy-esque, you know, very, very much what you would expect of, of Viking heaven, you know, um, or whatever. So. Um I mean, it looks like Loki is there, and you know Loki's always Thor's nemesis in, in both in mythology and and in the comics um I'm not sure who that giant uh that giant armored guy who was blasting stuff out of his visor was supposed to be um again, I mean, I haven't read the comics in so long, maybe it's somebody I'm just not thinking of, but I mean no nobody immediately came to mind yeah i don't know i'm 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 fairly skeptical of that trailer, but uh you know, I mean I'll see it I guess maybe I'll wait and see what people think.
0: Oh, okay, so how about the uh, X Men First Class?
1: Yeah, that one looks pretty promising. I mean, I don't know. It's uh, um, it's a it's a pretty bold move uh, taking taking the X Men back before like everyone's favorite Wolverine is in it or anything, and it's just uh, it's just like Charles Xavier and uh and Magneto. Um, and uh, I'm not clear who all the other characters are. It Look, it looked like Beast was in it, maybe. I mean, unless that's just some other guy who looks like Beast or something, or. Um who's flying the plane there? Did you see the Yeah, the... no, I know what you're
0: talking about. I'm not sure uh, what
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, and and again, I don't I don't know I don't know all the history of the X-Men uh, characters either, but um, you know, uh I mean, the the trailer looked pretty slick anyway, and it looks uh, looks like it's taking the concept fairly seriously. Um although the trailer does lean very heavily on JFK I, I assume that plays into the
0: into the storyline somehow that they're going to have to fight off communism or whatever. But um, I think I heard it's the Cuban. This is like the real story of the Cuban Missile Crisis. You know, right. there are like mut- mutants involved and stuff.
1: Right. Right. You know. I mean, that sounds that sounds pretty cool actually. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, it looks looks pretty slick. I mean, they've got um, they've got some good actors in there. Like uh, at least that's Michael Fassbender, right? Is uh, Magneto? So I mean, he's a good actor. Um, I'm not sure who the guy who plays um, Xavier is. Oh, but, it's
0: uh, uh, James McAvoy.
1: Oh, that's him. Okay, yeah, okay. So, yeah, no wonder Genevieve geeked out about
0: that trailer. Uh, But yeah, I I think that's definitely the most promising of the four. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay, and so now we're going to move on to our next topic, which is uh, superheroes in prose fiction. Uh, There's a a bunch of really good uh, things along those lines. Uh, So the first thing that came to mind that I wanted to to talk about was uh, this Tim Pratt story called Captain Fantasy and the Secret Masters that appeared in Realms of Fantasy magazine years ago. And uh, it was on the Podcastle podcast. It's Podcastle Giant Number Four. Um, if anyone wants to go check it out, um, but it's it's really cool. Uh, it's sort of it's very much uh, a sort of uh, Captain America style story, um, except you know instead of Captain America, it's this guy named Captain Fantasy, and uh, he has really powerful superpowers where kind of stuff that he imagines uh, just comes true. But uh, he had been uh, injured, you know, and he had fought in World War II. And, you know, his uh, sidekick had died and stuff. But, uh, but, but this Captain Fantasy guy, he has, you know, like um, amnesia. So that it's sort of like in the movie Memento where, you know, he remembers the past, but, uh, you know, he can't form new memories uh, as a result of his injuries. And so he still thinks it's World War II and he still thinks that they're fighting the Nazis and stuff. And so they kind of keep him in this uh, bunker, you know, where they – because it, it's sort of too dangerous to, to let him out because of uh, how powerful his superpowers are. And, uh, and 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 because he's so confused and stuff, and so they just kind of keep him in this bunker and sort of, you know, keep up the illusion that it's still World War II, just sort of to to keep him happy. But then a situation arises where they need, you know, they need him to save the day, and so they really have no choice but to let him out. And so the the main character is a sort of, um, you know, um, shape shifting kind of guy, and so he impersonates um, Captain Fantasy's uh, sidekick hmm. and is sort of supposed to be his handler and, you know point him in the right direction and try to keep him, uh, you know, under control. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's just kind of funny stuff like the, you know, the first moment that they're, they're alone, Captain Fantasy kind of, you know, grabs him in or kind of, uh, embraces him and kisses him. And it turns out that Captain Fantasy and his sidekick were lovers. Uh, hmm. and that kind of makes the situation a little uncomfortable for the protagonist. <laughs> um, but it's just, it's just, there's just a lot of really, uh, sort of really clever, uh, sort of, uh, twists on on sort of superhero stories and things i want to see that movie yeah yeah another one i read recently another sort of superhero short story that i thought was really good was uh, by saladin ahmed uh it's called dr diablo goes through the motions um and you can listen to it, it was a, a, a episode 158 of travel cat of the travel cast uh, podcast um it's very short i mean it's uh, it's just a couple minutes long long i think but it's it's sort of told from the point of view of a Sort of uh, disillusioned Latino um, villain, uh, you know, sort of supervillain, and uh, you know, sort of at a meeting of of, of the supervillains, and uh, just kind of the part that that's that struck me the most is uh, the, uh, the 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 leader of the supervillains um, is sort of laying out their evil scheme, and uh, he's describing one of the heroes that they're going to be fighting, and uh, and Doctor Diablo says, quote. You don't need to go through all this. I can guess his goddamn origin. Disaffected rich kid, fled America and trained with mystical Eastern warriors, soon became the best. One year at ninja camp is always enough time for a gringo to get better than any native. He defeated the jealous Eastern ex-best warrior, screw the prettiest Eastern girl, earned the respect of her dad, some old guy with a white mustache who's been waiting all his life for a white boy to come to his school, school, came home and decided to fight crime. Am I right? And actually, you know, Saladin, uh, he linked to a... uh, sort of on that on that same thing you sort of linked to this funny website where it's it's called um uncomfortable plot summary or what is it uncomfortable <laughs> movie summary something like that but it's like the plots of famous movies you know given like a one sentence you know TV guide style synopsis um but phrased in such a way that it just kind of makes you uncomfortable you know to mm-hmm. about the movie and so the one for Batman is uh wealthy man assaults the mentally ill <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, yeah, actually. Uh, so one of the things I wanted to mention, which is sort of, a, uh, I mean, it's not a short story. It's a novel, but and it's ver- sort of um, off the beaten uh, path for as far as superhero things go. But um, there's a novel called Pandemonium by Daryl Gregory. Uh, did you read that? Mm um so i
0: i heard it was really good i didn't realize it was a superhero
1: yeah it's it's an awesome book i mean and it's his first novel so i mean it's really impressive i mean i've read a bunch of his short fiction that was great but uh but it's his first novel um and um so it's not really like i mean it's it's kind of hard to call it a superhero novel but i mean i think if you like superhero fiction you should certainly check it out so it sort of takes place in this world where like there are these demons that have possessed people throughout the years right and um as as when he was a child, the protagonist was possessed by this demon known as the hellion um who who was known for sort of targeting kids like him and uh but then he but then he got better um except that he starts to think that well maybe the demon never really left and and that maybe something else is going on inside of him and um and so like as as the story progresses, it sort of becomes clear that that these demons um are sort of these they're, they're, they're sort of these archetypes that we know from comic books and and so like you know there there's like a there's a demon that's called like the captain or and stuff like that so it's like a sort of a captain America type thing and it's like and and, and so like when when the people got possessed by these demons they they wouldn't necessarily go and do like something heroic say like as the captain demon but it would sort of like go off and do like something uh, warlike and, and, and violent or whatever, because, of, you know, it's like this warrior persona or whatever. So I don't know, it, it does something very interesting with, um, the whole idea of, of demons. I mean, it's a very interesting book about, uh, if you, if you want to read something about demons, but then like also, I, I just think if you, if you like superhero fiction, um, definitely check it out because it does a lot of interesting things with those archetypes. And, I mean, essentially, I mean, it's like what he's talking about in the book is is not all that different than any other superpower. And, like, you know, it's like, oh, well, you know, is it a superpower because you're a mutant or because you're possessed by a demon? I mean, what's the difference, right? I mean, if you have some – if you end up with some sort of superpower because of it, you know, then it's still a superpower. And uh, actually, one of the other things I was going to mention was also a novel, um, Soon I Will Be Invincible by uh, Austin Mm -hmm. Grossman. Um, and you know, that's, that's more of a, tra- uh, you know, more of a traditional superhero narrative, but, um, I mean, that one's also excellent if, uh, if you're interested in, uh, something like that, but.
0: I mean, I was just going to mention also two other sort of superhero novels that came to mind where, uh, nobody, Get- where, you know, nobody gets the girl by James Maxey. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and then you also have playing for keeps by, uh, uh, Merle Lafferty, um, it's, you know, uh, sort of available as a sort of free podcast novel. And I've heard that's really good too. And of course, uh, you know, going back to short stories, you know, you have like the Wild Cards uh, anthology series, and they just re-released the first one, and there's a bunch of other ones uh, that have just come out recently.
1: Yeah, the the, the re-released uh, version of the first Wild Cards book actually has some original material in it too. So even if you have read the original one, um, there's some new stories that they sort of meshed into there by like you know contemporary authors, like I think Carrie Vaughn and David Levine and some other people have uh, new stuff in there. Yeah. Um but and also speaking of short stories um you know Lou Anders did an anthology called Masked um which is all superhero stories uh It's got like bill willingham who who does fables uh Marjorie Lou, Mike Carey uh, and a bunch of other people um in there
0: well i, I actually I just picked that up uh this week and i, I just sort of started reading some of the stories it's It's really good the the ones I've read so far mm-hmm. um you know my favorite story that I've read so far is called Thug um by Gail Simone. Mm-hmm. and it's sort of uh it's told from the point of view of a kind of villain super villain henchman kind of guy who has a low iq uh the voice it sounds very much like um like charlie gordon from uh, flowers for algernon it's sort of that kind of character mm-hmm. and it's just a very i mean i was kind of getting like choked up reading it it's a really sort of sad touching story um you know and so i read it. i was like wow that's great and so i was curious about the uh, the author and so, so i googled her and uh you know, she's, uh, she writes, uh, you know, writes superhero comics and, but she's also, she did that website, um, women in refrigerators. Do you know that website? Uh, uh-uh. uh it's like, um, I guess that's, you know, it's like, it sort of lists like bad things that have happened to female characters in comic books and kind of asks whether there's a sort of disproportionate victimization of, of female characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then different, uh, you know, different, uh, comic book creators, you know, uh, respond and stuff. It's, it's interesting, but, uh, um uh, there is do you know why it's called women in refrigerators no yeah. uh so apparently in there was like this infamous scene in uh one of the green lantern stories where like the green lantern comes home and like his girlfriend has been murdered and stuffed in the refrigerator um and so you know it's just a really like extreme famous scene there was another um high, sort of high profile superhero anthology that came out recently called who can save us now um this was uh, uh one of the editors was uh was owen king um stephen king's son i actually went and saw they they had a reading for this um at mcnally jackson bookstore um which is a great bookstore parenthetically uh if you're uh in manhattan but uh you know he was saying that o- owen king and his wife they were watching that meerkat manor show and uh he just said like when it you know somebody should write a story about a meerkat man superhero and uh you know his wife was like well you should write that and he was like well where you know where would you ever publish a meerkat man superhero short story (laughs) you know and uh you know so he just kind of uh, put the idea aside and then you know just he kept, kept thinking about it and you know he really wanted to write it and just decided that he would uh edit the whole anthology, you know, if he's like, Oh, if I edit a whole anthology of superhero stories then that's a the place I can publish my meerkat man, superhero story.
1: Uh, yeah. There's actually uh, there's another um, couple, there's a, there's two other anthologies that come to mind uh, on the subject. Uh, there, there's one called the darker mask that was edited by uh, Gary Phillips and Christopher Chambers. Um, the subtitle is heroes from the shadows, um, which, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of like uh, the dark and gritty side of uh, superhero fiction um so you know it's like it's not the uh, it's not like people like superman it would be you know some somebody who's sort of uh closer to the street you know sort of thing um and uh so there's some interesting stuff in there and um actually years and years ago i mean this was like uh from the yeah like 1996 um uh john varley had one just called superheroes um and uh it's got a bunch of, it's got a stories in it by like Roger Lasny and some other people, but um, you know, I don't, I don't really remember it too well. I mean, I, I definitely had it and I, and I read it at some point, but um, it sort of started my opinion um, of how difficult it is to translate um, superhero fiction or s- superhero stories into prose fiction, you know, whereas like it feels very natural to read about them in comics, I guess, because that's where we first encounter them in general. But um, when you try to take that same, um style of storytelling and you you just apply it to prose fiction it it can be much more difficult to to sell sell to the reader you know um I mean it could have just been that I was young when I read this and uh you know that I I didn't get into it for that reason maybe I would appreciate it now but um yeah I mean it took me a long time to really um to find uh superhero fiction uh, in prose form that uh that really worked uh for me the way the comics did and uh But uh, anyway, I mean, this one certainly was way ahead of the curve as far as this goes. I mean, um, you know, it's a good 10 years ahead of uh, um, any of these other superhero anthologies. So,
0: Well, like speaking of superheroes and formats other than comics, I mean, you know, there were a couple um, sort of superhero role playing games. Um, There was one. uh, Well, I've I've heard that, you know, George R. R. Martin say that the wild cards kind of grew out of a a superhero Mm -hmm. role playing game called Super Worlds that he was playing. Um there was also there was one from Palladium um that I used to play as a kid called Heroes Unlimited. Uh did you ever did you ever do any of those? Yeah, well, I mean no, I never played
1: either of those. Uh I did play the Marvel Super Heroes role playing game which I thought was awesome. Um you know, it was it I mean cuz like I mean probably the most fun about that was well, I mean it it was it was a lot of fun to play, but I mean uh, really also it was it was also a lot of fun just making characters. Uh you know cuz they had a pretty sophisticated system for building a superhero. And so, you know, you could just spend hours and hours, uh, you know, just making up new superheroes and, and thinking about what combinations of powers would be cool to go together. And, uh, and if you use the randomization factor, I mean, cause like you can, you could, you know, you would, you would roll to get what your statistics were, but then also you could roll to get what powers, you know, your superhero would end up with and everything. So, um, it could be a lot of fun to sort of end up with like these sort of oddly paired superpowers and then cut, trying to come up with an explanation, like why why does this character have these two different kind of powers and, you know, how does that work together and what kind of superhero would he be if he has those powers and that kind of stuff?
0: I've actually, I've, I've heard George R. R. Martin say that, you know, uh, when he was, he, he sort of got obsessed with the super world and, and rolling up characters, you know, was, was, it was one thing he really got, uh, fixated on and that uh, you know he was supposed to be writing and he would you know <laughs> actually be rolling up superhero superhero characters and, and his partner paris you know would come and sort of listen at the door and if she heard dice rolling she would kind of like shake her head and go <laughs> like, oh, he's in there he's at it again <laughs> um but um but no i did actually play this heroes unlimited game and uh, so I, I just kind of googled it just just recently and i kind of you know nostalgically looking at the cover and stuff. And they, they had posted uh, the author's introduction from the book. And, and one thing about that uh, caught my eye is the, the author of, of that, you know, role-playing game says, uh, quote, Oh, one last comment. The term superhero is a registered trademark held jointly by the Marvel Entertainment Group and DC Comics. The term superpowers is a registered trademark of DC Comics Except in this introduction, where I specifically refer to real comic books, I cannot legally use those two words superhero or superpowers, terms all us comic book readers know and love. Well, I hate to be sued, so you'll see references to, like super abilities, extraordinary powers, superhuman super beings, and so on. Sheesh, what a business eh hmm. have you ever that's heard crazy. have you ever heard of that? No,
1: that's crazy, and I like how i mean how could they how could how could the government like give them a trademark on that? I mean that's lame. But, you know, doesn't doesn't a trademark get um, uh, weakened by when when people don't defend the trademark like usage, like because like, for instance, like I know I remember I remember like reading a writer's digest when I was uh, younger and and I saw it was like an ad to writers saying like, you know, don't use the word Kleenex when you mean tissue because <laughs> that, you know, because that's like inappropriate use of, of their trademark. Um, And the same thing with Xerox. Like, Don't say Xerox when you mean photocopy because that's an inappropriate use of their trademark. Um, And uh, apparently, I mean, from what I understand, like, you know, if you don't defend, like, you know, if you don't protect your trademark, then it sort of becomes something that can't be trademarked anymore. Like aspirin, I think, was also trademarked at some point. But then everybody just used the word aspirin as a generic for whatever you would not call, whatever you would call aspirin generically. And then so it just became a term that couldn't be trademarked anymore. Um, so I mean, how could how could superheroes still be <laughs> trademarked at this point? You know, you would think that that must have been used so commonly and by everyone that that it couldn't possibly be trademarked anymore. But I don't know. I'm not a lawyer, so. Actually, speaking of superheroes, though, and 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 Marvel trademarking stuff, did did you hear about this T-shirt company that Stan Lee's company is suing because of because they have like they have a bunny on their shirt and he's saying pow. He's punching something and, and yeah. like, and then the word balloon says pow and it's got like a sort of a jagged edge word balloon. Um, and Stanley's company is like suing them for trademark infringement or something. And it's like,
0: what? Yeah, I don't, I'm not a lawyer either. There's just so many like weird things going on here. I mean, one of the things is that, you know, yeah, the companies, as I understand, they have to sue every, you know, they have to sue or threaten to sue everybody, even if they don't really want to, or else mm-hmm. they might, you know, lose their trademark. So I, I suspect that, you know they don't actually really care if the guy uses pal on the t-shirt, but if, if they don't, you know, they, for, for some reason they feel that they have to, but. Uh,
1: well, the I, Stan Lee thing is really lame. Cause I mean, if you like, if you Google it, we'll we'll try to find a link for it in the show notes, but I mean, they, they were showing like what Stan Lee's trademark is and what they have on their shirt. And it's, like, there's no way that that's trademark infringement. You know what I mean? It's like, they're it's not the same thing. It's like, you can't trademark the word pal, you know, it's a word, you know? And it's like, So it's like a ridiculous suit. I mean, I understand what you're saying that, you know, if it was the case where they felt like, you know, like, well, we don't want to sue this guy, but we have to defend the trademark. But in this case, it was just ridiculous.
0: Even if you were to grant that they can trademark the word superhero, my understanding of trademark was just that you couldn't use it in the title or like to identify the product. So you couldn't have a game called Superheroes Unlimited. I don't understand why you can't use the word superhero in the text of a book, a role playing game book. That just blows my mind. I, I I don't get that at all.
1: Yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe maybe a trademark lawyer will chime in, but um, maybe maybe the maybe the guy who wrote the introduction actually misunderstood that. Because um, you know that that makes sense to me too. That like you wouldn't be able to use it in the title, maybe. But um, how could they stop you from using it in a book? You know. But I, I don't know.
0: Yeah, if there are any trademark lawyers listening to this show, you know, let us uh, you know clear this up for us, please.
1: Well, I mean, because like for instance, like you know, Band-Aid is a trademarked. A trademark of Johnson and Johnson or whatever, right? But I mean, like, if you use a, if you if you mention Band-Aid in a story, it's like you're not going to get sued for trademark infringement. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. If you titled your story like <laughs> Band-Aid or something, like maybe you get in trouble. But um,
0: no, I think it's only it has to be like a similar product. So like you know, because I've heard of things like like a company will be trademarked. You know, some some something. You know, like Sunrise Computer Company or something and you could still have like the, the sunrise hot dog company you know mm-hmm. without violating their trademark it has to be like something that could be confused you know two businesses that could be confused with each other or something right right but uh i don't know we need we need we need a lawyer we need a lawyer on this one i guess um i guess just the the other thing i was going to mention is that um have you seen that the marvel zombies uh thing that came out
1: uh, you mean the comic series? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I've seen Marvel Zombies. Yeah,
0: because I, you know, I, I found that, you know, I came across that in the bookstore, and uh, I read it. I thought it was fantastic, um, but a lot of the artwork was done by this guy, um, Greg Land, and I actually, I kind, I thought his art was pretty, was kind of interesting. And so I, I went and googled him afterward, and it turns out there's this big like controversy over, uh, over him and and how he puts his art together. Have you, have you heard about any of this stuff? No. I don't know. It sounds like like people sort of um, say that he kind of like takes photos from the internet and from magazines and kind of traces them and you mm-hmm. know uh, uh, maybe just photoshops them a little bit and stuff and sticks them in the comics and uh, uh, I guess you know I mean there's like a long tradition of comic book artists using photo referencing and stuff, but people uh, you know some people sort of think that this maybe goes goes too far uh, in that direction, but but so it's it's kind of funny because people will go through the comics. And like find, you know, they, and then go online and find the picture, you know. And so there's like this photo of uh, Magneto and Marvel zombies kind of putting his helmet on. And then there's a picture of Brad Pitt from Troy putting his helmet on. And it's, exa- it's like exactly the same, same picture, you know, like even like the, the, um, patterns of light and darkness in the background are exactly the same and stuff. Hmm. And, uh, <laughs> but, but then one, one kind of thing is, I guess, uh, uh, what, what people, suggest anyways that a lot of the the sort of photo reference that that this guy uses is actually like porn and <laughs> and so uh you know so they'll be like a you know like a superhero like screaming as they get blasted by an energy beam or something um but he's actually like traced some pornographic image you know uh, where the character is screaming for some entirely non energy beam related <laughs> reason <laughs> And yeah. and so people are saying that like once once you notice that it, once you notice this it gets really distracting. They call it like quote unquote porn face because they say like you read the comics and you just like see porn face everywhere. <laughs> and um and also like you know a lot of the characters are like celebrities and so like you know you're looking you know you're just looking at Mr. Fantastic or whatever and you're like wait is that Topher Grace I think it is <laughs> you know uh so I don't know, I guess we can have a link in the show notes that I found there's a pretty um pretty hilarious, like, discussion thread where people, uh, you know, post examples of things, post examples of that. And it does, you know, it just kind of brings up sort of interesting issues about, you know, with all this new technology and Photoshop and stuff, uh, how legitimate is it to, uh, you know, how much uh, manipulation do you have to do to an image uh, before you can call it yours, you know, stuff like that.
1: I would think that that would be a case of, like, you know, we discussed on the show before, like, when Naomi Novik was on the idea of transformative works. You know, you think that would be sort of a transformative work. No, I mean, it's like he's taking something out of the context in which it was used originally and transforming it completely, um, you know, into something else. It's not even, you know, it's like a different character and or it's a character in a comic book and all that. So I don't know. I think that would be covered by that sort of usage. But uh, who knows? Like, you know, like I said, I'm not a lawyer. (laughs) So that was our episode. Uh, if you want to help support the show, uh, remember, we do take donations. If you go to geeksguideshow.com and you can click on the PayPal button there and send us a do- donation, um, we'd appreciate that. And uh, or, or if you just want to support the show in other ways, you can go to iTunes and uh, leave a review or a rating there. We're up to 31 ratings. So if you want to go and uh, give us another five stars or something like that, we'd appreciate it. Um, and uh, tell your friends about the show. And uh, thanks for listening.
0: The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of I-O-9. For this episode's
1: show notes, to subscribe to this podcast, or for more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your hosts, visit johnjosephadams.com or davidbarrkirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by Slipgate 9 Entertainment. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends.